thinking, just take one moment to pray for this lady, Adele, that Colin was speaking about, where we pray for her. Right. Well, this morning we're going to read in a minute from Mark 1, 21 to 28, and it's really following on um, our uh, series, I think it's going to be, on becoming disciples and true disciples of Jesus. And if you were here last week, John Mark spoke about uh, maybe the different terms that we use for that and how they can make us think more deeply. So maybe we could call them apprentices of Jesus, or he made also a distinction between being a fan of Jesus and being a true follower of Jesus. Um, and as we come to this passage, you know, I really like the way Mark 1 goes. If you read through it, um, it's really dynamic. It goes immediately this and immediately that and immediately the other. And I don't think it means all these things happened, you know, Jesus was here and immediately was here and then he did this. It's more the sense that this was the immediate effect of the kingdom of God as Jesus began his ministry. People were immediately sort of drawn up, came up against it, had to think about it. I think that's what they're talking about here. As I tried to prepare this this week, something was really um, always coming at me and it was the fact that as John Mark spoke last week and said, about the challenge, did we want to become true disciples of Jesus? You know, sometimes we can think, that's what I did many years ago. But I think it's something that the Lord is taking very seriously at the minute, and it's very immediate to us now. Do we really want to become true disciples? We live in a very dark world. Lots of things seem to be going very wrong. And the temptation is sometimes to batten down the hatches and hold on until Jesus returns. But you know, deep darkness, all deep darkness needs is light. And Jesus is the light of the world. And we are the light of the world because Jesus is in us. And I really feel that the Lord is saying, who wants to go for this? Dare we go for this? To take his discipleship call really seriously. And we can all just get lazy, you know, and we are all inclined to settle. And would, uh, do we give up the right to be nice, normal people with nice, normal lives? And I'm sure there's some of us who think we're nice, normal people, maybe not uh, in other people's eyes. But are we even willing to give that up to become fanatics of Jesus? Not fans, but those people who give their whole lives. And um, to become people who burn with his spirit who carry his presence and who walk in his authority. So we're going to read the passage. It's Mark 1, um, verses 21 to 28. I think it's okay. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astounded at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. 
And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? And you teach him with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And this morning I'm going to talk about three things. First of all, the astonishing gospel. Secondly, the question of authority. And then thirdly, dealing with evil powers. And the first one we're going to have a look at is this astonishing gospel. So in this short account that Mark gives us, it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And he doesn't give us much detail of what's going on here. We don't know what Jesus taught about. But the passage really emphasizes the effect that this teaching had. These people were astonished and they were amazed. And no wonder, because here we have Jesus, the word made flesh, the word incarnate. And he was actually preaching the written word of God. Here we have the truth, Jesus explaining written truth and I'm sure we've all had that experience where you read a passage many times in the Bible and then one day you read it and it just comes to life and really impacts your life and I think this is what these people were experiencing because when Jesus speaks these words or in our case when the Holy Spirit takes these words and speaks them it's not just information or a bit of good advice for life but it's life-giving and life-changing power and I wonder, do we still find the teachings of Jesus astonishing and amazing? Do they still bring us up? Or have we become too familiar with them? Do we handle them too casually? Because it's really important how we handle the word of God. Truth should always lead to transformation. And when it doesn't, then we're very susceptible to developing hardened hearts. And hardened hearts can lead us into unbelief. And they can lead us just to fall back on the, as Jesus called them, the traditions of men. And those were things that Jesus said would actually um, stop the work of God in our lives. It would actually cause it to be shut down. And not just in my life, but in ministry in our church. Unbelief and leaning on the traditions of men. And the call to be a true disciple of Jesus involves letting these astonishing words do their work in us, to form Jesus in us and teach us the way of this supernatural kingdom of God that was very impacting in this situation and should be impacting in our world. If we're really serious about discipleship, we have to be ready to do serious business with God. And it's not for the faint-hearted. The question of authority then. In this passage, Jesus, um, Mark tells us about Jesus casting out a demon or an unclean spirit or an evil spirit. I think all those terms mean the same. And Jesus simply told the, or the demon to be quiet and to come out. The demon had no choice played up for a moment, then obeyed, came out, and that was that. Jesus had total authority there. But you might have noticed there's something different going on because the people in the synagogue, 
they were recognizing that there was authority, but their reactions to that authority were very different. As you read on the Gospels, you discover that the religious leaders knew Jesus had authority, but they rejected that authority. We have the disciples, they knew Jesus had authority, and they chose to submit to it and begin their apprenticeship with him. And we know that even today, people still have that choice to submit to God or not to submit to God. And we know there'll come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But until that, there is still this ability to choose. God has not enforced his will, his authority on us. This question of who has authority on the earth has been the battle of the ages and is the battle for our hearts and minds. And I think it is extremely important. And if we don't get our minds around it, we're sort of not really sure how we should be walking through this world. It deserves some serious study, and we can't do that this morning. So here's my bullet point aversion of the root of the matter, where the whole question of authority started. And it's way back in Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them with a purpose, and he gave them authority to do that purpose. And the purpose was they were to come into this world that was teeming with life that God had just created. And the Bible says they were to tend it, they were to fill it, first of all, with other people, they were to tend it, and they were to subdue it. I don't think the subdue it means cruelly oppress it, but their job was to work out God's design through all this life that was bubbling up everywhere, to bring God's design of order and beauty. You could say God's shalom here on earth. And then they disobeyed God and sin entered. And in effect, they handed over that authority to Satan. And Satan is now called the God of this world. Evil multiplied. Death began the long, slow process of devastation in us as human beings and in our planet. And then came God's wonderful plan of redemption. And just one part of that really strikes me, that just as a man had given over his authority... So it was a man, it was the man, Christ Jesus, who came and took that authority back. And just as people lost the authority to bring God's rule and reign into the earth, now the people, like you and me, the church, has been given the authority to bring the kingdom of God and that his rule and reign into the earth. And the fact that Jesus entrusts his kingdom to the church is not some sort of reckless vote of confidence and the hope that we'll get our act together and, you know, try hard and do well. This is actually part of God's design. He doesn't treat us as just mere subjects. We are part of his design. This is his plan to bring his shalom, his rule here on earth. And in terms of authority, it's not so much that we have delegated authority, but we've inherited authority. We're in Christ, he's in us, and his authority is in us. And we're going to look at how that actually works out. 
It doesn't mean that we can run around like little gods with a small g, commanding this and commanding that. This authority works through submission to God and it only operates through obedience to his commands. And we can see this in the, the Gospels. I'm going to just mention a couple of examples here. For example, in Luke 19, verse 13, Jesus and his disciples are sitting with a large crowd in front of them. Jesus has been teaching. And the people are hungry. And the disciples are thinking, oh, Jesus is going to do a miracle here. And Jesus turns to, to them and he says, right, you give them something to eat. It's an impossible task but the very command of Jesus carried the authority and the power they needed to fulfill it. When they obeyed, then the food was multiplied. Think of Jesus um, walking on the water. The disciples are in the boat. It's really, really stormy. And Jesus comes walking towards them. And Peter sees Jesus. And look, they're in the middle of a storm. I don't think anybody standing in the boat in the middle of a storm thinks, do you know what, I'd love to walk in that water. <laughs> I don't think it was like, go on, I'll take this challenge. I think there's something in Peter that recognises that the disciple, the apprentice, has to learn what Jesus, to do what Jesus does. And he says to Jesus, call me, or, yes, call me out on the water. And Jesus says the word, come. And that word enables Peter to step out in the water. But what happens then? Peter looks around, gets scared, and starts to sink. And do you know what? Jesus rebuked him for doubting. Jesus didn't say, look, you did well. It was your first time. Well done. You stepped out of the boat. Jesus rebukes him for doubting. And what was the nature of that doubt? Did he doubt he was looking at Jesus? I don't think so. Did he doubt that Jesus was walking on the water? No. His doubt was that he could do what Jesus told him to do. Jesus took Peter's discipleship very seriously. He didn't say, you know, oh, well, you tried. He spoke to Peter about what the problem was. And this is the thing about being a serious disciple of Jesus. We have to be ready for him to speak into our lives, to expose areas of unbelief and all the rest of it. Jesus tells us to do some things that seem impossible. But we can do them simply because he has told us to do them. The power and the authority come from that command. Our part is to obey. And no, it doesn't always work perfectly as we've seen because we're still human. We still have lots of things in our heart. Our hearts are confused at times. We have unbelief and all the rest of it. But Jesus didn't, doesn't change his mind. He takes our discipleship seriously and calls us on. Even the 12 disciples experienced this. In Mark 6, Jesus sent them out with the authority to preach to heal the sick and to cast out demons. And they came back rejoicing because it had worked. But a short time later, page or two in the Bible, we have the disciples trying to cast a demon out of a boy and they can't do it. And Jesus steps in and he does it. And he doesn't say to them, 
don't worry. I know, again, I know you're only learning and it will get better. Nor does he say, that's it. From now on, I, I'm the only one who casts out demons. He's frustrated with their lack of faith and points it out. And they have to go to him and question him and learn again the processes of the kingdom. When we step out to follow Jesus in any of these things, it's a real learning curve and we have to be prepared for that. Jesus is serious in producing disciples. He has no plan B. And finally, a wee bit about dealing with evil powers. And comes as a bit of a shock to some Christians that there are evil powers or that we are in a battle. But Jesus was very familiar with this. And he often spoke to evil powers. And the evil powers tried to talk to him sometimes so he didn't allow it. And that brings us on to the first thing. Never talk to the devil. Just don't get involved. Have you ever noticed Jesus would never let a demon speak? And the demons were saying things like, we know who you are, you're the son of God, or something like that. Which you think, well, that could have been positive. That could have convinced the people around Jesus of his identity. But Jesus has no dealings whatsoever with evil, with demons, except to silence them and cast them out. He doesn't say, all right, you do that and I'll use it for my purposes. God does not use evil. And there's something to learn here about the way Jesus dealt with us. We should never listen to the voice of the enemy. We have to shut him up as quickly as we can. Now, you might have never heard a demon speak through another person, and that's great, I'm sure. So where would you and I hear the voice of the enemy? In 2 Corinthians 10, there's a verse, two verses, uh, 4 and 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I think probably the most common place we hear the enemy speak is in our own heads, through our own thoughts. And it's often about our identity. So he might come to me and say, Jeanette, you are a useless Christian. But that's not what I hear. I hear my own internal voice saying, I'm a useless Christian. And what I need to do at that moment is spot what's going on and replace, shut, shut it down immediately and replace it with what God says. I could say, um, I'm a child of God, I'm loved and accepted. But instead, I often join in the conversation. And I'm thinking, I am a useless Christian. Do you know, remember last week, that was terrible. And when I think back, actually, I am a, use, a useless Christian. And I enter into trash talk with the devil and it takes maybe a week to unravel all that slime he has put in my thought life. Neither should we let other people speak the words of the enemy over us. You know, people who constantly put you down or speak negativity um, or, you know, predict bad things for you. People who bully or control or manipulate we have the right to walk away. 
but also we need to replace what they've said with God's words. Okay. And this is what Jesus did when he was fighting temptation. The enemy said something, he replaced it with what God said. But how do you distinguish the voice of the enemy from the voice of your own thoughts if they sound the same? As with all our de dealings with evil and evil powers, we don't want to study them. We don't want to give them any more attention. We don't want to become experts in demons and what they do and how they work. And also the Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher in all of this. I read once that way back in the day, um, in the banks, if they were trying to get um, their employees to be able to spot forgeries, you know, forged notes. The approach they took was just to let the employees have loads of experience handling genuine notes. And they handled them so much that they became very used to the feel and the weight and all the rest of it. And they were able then to immediately spot the false, the, the fake notes. And I think that's something to say to us. You know, the more time we spend in God's word, more time we embrace and accept his teaching, his thoughts, um, his attitude in life, then the more quick we are to spot when the enemy comes in. And when we recognize his voice, refuse to talk to him, never agree with him, always replace his words with God's words. And finally, how to use your authority as a child of God. Jesus ordered the demon out of this man. And we read about him doing that quite often in the Gospels. And after his followers had watched him work like this for a time, Jesus sent 72 of them out to do the same, to heal and deliver people. The Gospel tells us that Jesus did many things. But there are three things specifically that come up over and over again. He preached the gospel, he healed the sick, and he cast out demons. And those are things that were was prophesied many years before that would be a sign of the coming of the kingdom, of coming of the Messiah. There are also the things that when John the Baptist was locked up in prison and he just began to think, oh... Is Jesus really the one? And he sent messengers. Jesus sent them back to say, tell them what you've seen. You know, the deaf hear, the blind see, and the, the poor have the good news preached to them. But he sent out these 72 people anyway, and he gave them authority over all the power of the enemy. That's in Luke 10, verse 19. And this, what they did, the works they did, the healing, the deliverance, the preaching of the gospel, this was a sign that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And this is the occasion when he said, freely you have received, freely give. Healing and setting people free from demons allow them to see the kingdom in a way that compels them to come in. Freely we have received, so freely we should give to those who are bound and looking for a way out. And there's no time now to talk about how demons afflict people or what the consequences or reasons might be. And in any case, let's be honest, we all have to start with our own lives. If you think some evil power is on your case, and that's probably 
most of the days that we go out and about around the world. Never be ashamed to ask other Christians for help. This is when we need each other. And James 4 verse 7 gives very straightforward advice about dealing with the works of the enemy. It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, you note that James says we have to do the resisting. This is not something God will do for us, which shocks us because we really would hope God would do everything for us. But remember who has authority on the, world, in, on the earth at the minute. We have authority to choose God or not. So it's up to us to resist the devil. And first of all, here it says, submit to God. Come under his authority and rule. That could include maybe accepting what God says about you and about what he has given in, into your life. And if we're struggling with unbelief, and you see times you're under pressure, do you see when the devil is in full attack? You can be stressed, you can be distressed. And you can find things that you believed before have suddenly become a bit murky and you're not sure. And we just need to go to the Lord and confess that and ask the Holy Spirit to again convince our hearts of truth. And remember that if you, what did Jesus say? If you ask for fish, he'll not give you a sto stone or bread and stone. You know what I mean. That, uh, that bread and stones and serpents and but anyway the Holy Spirit will always do well he will always give you the gifts that God wants you to have he will give you the wisdom and he will explain things to you there's also repentance that's part of submitting to God so we repent from sin and it might be sin that we've been stuck in for years it could be things like judging other people or holding grudges it could be things like um, being involved in things maybe that have some things to do with the occult it may be being involved in things that have maybe come out of other religions and we need to look at those things need confessed because we don't want to give the devil anything in us and the Holy Spirit is the one to guide on this matter and then resist the devil. How do you do that? How do you resist the devil? I think there is a place for speaking out loud and just um, commanding any evil power to stop its work and go in the name and authority of Jesus. And then ask the Holy Spirit to come and heal any areas of hurt that the enemy might have um, done to you. And this same pattern of submit to God and resist the enemy, it's the same pattern that will work if we're praying for deliverance for other people or praying to heal the sick. This isn't spooky. There's no head turning and screaming or anything like that going on. This is the way Jesus lived. And this is the way the disciples were called to move out and bring the kingdom of God. But it is serious business. If we're to be lights in a dark world, we need, need, need to be able to recognise evil and we need to be able to deal with it. And most importantly, we need to be able to know our God. I'm going to finish with one verse and it's in Daniel 11, verse 32. 
And this is passages that are strange. They're set in the end times and all sorts of awful things are happening. The world's in uproar. And it says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm. Sorry, this verse has been very impacting to me over the years. I'm reading it in ESV, I think it said, the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. I like the older version, don't know why, maybe it's, you know, age. But it's uh, the verse that really spoke to me said, the people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits, nearly said, be strong and do exploits. And you know, as Jesus calls us to be his disciples, it's not so that we'll feel good. It's not so we'll have nice church. It's so that we go out and we can bring light to the darkness and we can shut down the works of the enemy in our own lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our fellowship, in the lives of our community, and so on and so forth. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me just finish with prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray you would stir us continually with this astonishing gospel. Lord, don't let us settle. Don't let us become hearers only of your word. Teach us to be doers of your word. Teach us to walk in authority. And help us to develop a passion for Jesus that grows bigger every day. And I pray, Lord, that you'd make us lights in this dark world to your glory. Amen. <clears throat>